Today's story is a fairly familiar story to a lot of people who have been around the church. These weird guys, maybe three, maybe magi, don't really know where they came from. The Bible never says three, and they could have been women. We don't know. We do know they come from a very different place, and they come to pay homage. It's a great story. It's topped off with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and topped off like a Christmas tree with a star. Beautiful star, this star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. Why are we so fascinated by stars? There's plenty of them. Sound like we've never seen one before. I remember relating to a very important conversation as a child that I saw in a movie. The characters were Timon and Pumbaa, Disney's Lion King, and they sit in the plains looking up at the sky. Pumbaa says, hey, Timon, ever wonder where those sparkly dots up there came from? And Timon says, Pumbaa, I don't wonder, I know. And Pumbaa says, oh, what are they? Simone says, they're fireflies. Fireflies that uh, got stuck up in that big, black, bluish thing. Pumbaa responds, oh, gee, I always thought they were balls of gas burning billions of miles away. And indeed they are. And they're fascinating. They're not just small pieces of light. They are full of chemicals and explosions and all sorts of things. As a matter of fact, I think we might be able to listen to a couple of them. Depending on whether it works or not, hit it, Tom. You are now listening to 47 to Canada. Forty-seven Tucana, and a little bit different. The remainder of a star, the Vela Pulsar. Thanks. It's beautiful, huh? The psalmists say that all of creation proclaims the glory of God, even when we can't hear it. Now, for some people, though. All that astrology, astronomy, whatever you call it, it's irrelevant. It's way out there. It doesn't make me money. It doesn't matter to my life. And so us earthlings have brought down the stars to our own little blue orb. You can watch Dancing with the Stars. You can walk on top of 2,500 terrazzo and bronze stars in Hollywood's Walk of Fame. Or, if you're really good, you can get a gold sticker if you get an A+. On your spelling test, in the shape of the star. The stars are among us, it would seem. But despite our attempts to domesticate their beauty, our words, our phrases continue to show our admiration for their otherworldly beauty. There's at least 20 idioms that I could come up with involving these words. You have starstruck, stargazers, 
Don't feel like your dreams are too unreachable. You should hitch a wagon to your star. That's a new one for me. If you think of someone very highly, you might think that they hung the moon and the stars. If you're a good Presbyterian and you think that everything's predestined to happen, you may think that everything's written in the stars. If you're a graduation speaker, you would tell folks not to set their sights too low, but to shoot for the stars. And people from Shakespeare to Taylor Swift have been making money through the centuries telling us about ill-fated star-crossed lovers. Stars in their eyes mean they want fame. Bless my stars means they're thankful for something. And one star, one star either means you're a really good Michelin restaurant or a really bad hotel. And then there's Bright Star. Anybody remember that musical? It started out in San Diego, came here to the Kennedy Center last year. Before it moved over to Broadway, it was written by Steve Martin and Edie Brickell. And it was well acclaimed. Charles Isherwood from the New York Times gave it a good review, which he rarely does for anything. And he said that it beamed nostalgia underscored by fiddles and banjo. These great reviews led it for 30 previews, 109 regular performances before it closed on June 26th. No more Bright Star. But in the story, Billy Kane is a young man who comes back from World War II. As he's coming home, he tells his friend that he wants to follow his bright star. He's going to send in his writing to the Asheville Journal. So then he sings the song for which the musical is named. Bright star, keep shining for me. Shine on and see me through. They're in North Carolina, if you didn't catch that. Bright star, keep shining for me. And one day, I'll shine for you. Now, those are, it's a beautiful song. It's a lot of fun. I've listened to the album a lot of times. But do you know what those lyrics mean? Who star it is? What it's meant for? I still don't. And I think that's why the musical failed. It's not a bad show. It's a pick-you-up, feel-good kind of show. Some would say that it failed because of this other show that was on at the time called Hamilton the Musical. But internally, the question, the problem there is that Billy's star is just his own. It's for his own internal ambitions, for his career. It really has no application to the rest of the show, and most certainly where everyone else is going. So if our bright stars are supposed to be just for us, it kind of begs the question, why waste our time with the rest of humanity? Why not just follow our own bright star and, you know, let everybody else deal with each other? That's a question that's posed and analyzed in a book I read recently called How to Survive the Apocalypse, Zombies, Cylons, and Faith at the End of the World. These Christian scholars point to this rash of TV shows that we would call apocalyptic. Think of The Walking Dead or Breaking Bad, House of Cards. You remember how in old TV shows everything was good, started flat, and then there was a problem. The main character dealt with the problem, and then things were good again. In the apocalyptic entertainment and literature, things start off bad. They start off with the end of the world. And then our characters make their way through the chaos which is the apocalypse 
and come out on the other side, usually not having fixed the end of the world. Think Captain Kirk. Remember how in Star Trek things were good in space? He'd encounter a problem, he'd deal with the Klingon, he'd get rid of them, and then everything was good again. Well, the new Star Trek movies have come out begin with Captain Kirk having an existential crisis. He says, who am I? What am I doing out here? And normally, over the course of the movie, he solves some kind of problem, but he still comes out of the back end wondering, what is my purpose? What is my bright star? Which he can't find, ironically, being surrounded by them. There's, of course, also House of Cards with Francis Underwood diving into the corrupt political system and doing everything he can maintain his power, even declaring war just so he could stay in the presidency. He comes in the back end and nothing's any better. This is the kind of entertainment, the popular imagination, from Mad Men to everything else. This is what's rising up. Everybody following their own self-fulfillment, their own self-aggrandizement, their own bright star. That stands in stark contrast from the star we meet in Matthew 2. These magi, whoever they were, left the comforts of their home, stability, probably a decent amount of wealth if they could afford a trip like that. They even left their own religious trappings and followed the star to the king of the Jews. This is not something you would do at the time. This is not something people usually do in our time. Understanding this journey is perplex, perplexing, unless you understand Matthew 2 as a microcosm of the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. So on one side, you've got King Herod, the Pharisees, the scribes. They're the ones who know the Bible pretty well, better than anybody else at the time. They know the scriptures, they know the laws, they know the prophecies, they know what's coming. And what's their reaction to this incoming king? They try to kill him. They slaughter the infants, hoping that they got rid of this rising Messiah so that they can maintain their own power, their own fulfillment, their own star and continue the rise. And in contrast, the Magi, foreigners, dirty, according to the law, unclean, from wherever in the east, and they follow the star, and they pay the child homage. It's a reflection of the rest of the gospel, where the Pharisees and the Sadducees condemn Jesus, get him killed, where the Samaritans and the bleeding women and everybody else who's an outcast are the ones who pay homage to Jesus. It's also in Matthew 2 where the gospel writer helps us identify the good stars from the bad ones. The scriptures want us to stop chasing our own bright stars and to point to the one that matters, one that pulls us together instead of sending everybody off in their own dance of individualism. There are over 70 references in scripture to stars, and most of them talk about looking at the wonder of space and creation and saying, how great is our God? Not a single one of them talk about following your own star, your own bright star. That's a particularly American cosmology. 
But when you get to the New Testament, you start to see a focus on Jesus. That scripture I read at the beginning of worship, it's from Revelation. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. So it becomes clear that Jesus is the star. That the way of Jesus is the way to get there. And the way of Jesus is lit up by the glow of his love made manifest in us. By the followers of it. I have a message and five points that I would share with you. You could draw a little five-pointed star in your bulletin if you want. Or you could pull out our CCPC app and take notes that way. Regardless, follow me here so that you and I can figure out what are the stars that we should be following first point is that this star needs to be rooted in the past. Stars don't come from anywhere. They're billions of years old and combinations of all sorts of things happening in the universe. And the same is true for the star that the wise men follow. The star was prophesied by Isaiah and others, Micah. It's a star that has its roots in Advent. And a yearning after a savior. N.T. Wright talks about how Christmas songs are so different from Advent songs. Because Advent songs are rooted in the first two-thirds of the Bible. That very few of us know much about. The story of God with Israel. Bringing them into a people. Liberating them from Pharaoh. Walking with them as they lived under patronage of other empires helping them out of the exile of Babylon, always remaining faithful. And through all that, hearing the cries of a people looking for salvation, looking for a savior to help them. The star that guides the Magi to Bethlehem fulfills the promises of those prophets of old and sheds light on the new direction that God is going, a light to the Gentiles. Our star needs to be rooted in the past. It needs to be a present tense star. The president at Princeton Theological Seminary, Craig Barnes, says that it doesn't matter if the miracle did happen, but what matters is does the, mir- does the miracle happen? Present tense. It's really nice that there is this glowing orb in the sky 2,000 years ago or so, but is there a star pointing the way for us now, today? And I think there is. On Monday, there will be clergy from a whole variety of religious institutions gathered downtown protesting as part of Moral Monday to let the world know that as people of faith, we are declaring that God is calling us to form a just and generous world. There are historic alliances being built between Jewish and Muslim community centers and congregations. It's exciting time to watch what's happening. Brian McLaren wrote in his book, The Great Spiritual Migration, that one of the shifts that needs to happen in the church is happening right now. We need to move from organized religion to organizing religion. Religion that organizes for the common good. That star is westward leading, and it is still proceeding. A lyric I never noticed in that song until this week. Still proceeding. Our star is 
rooted in the past. It's present tense. It's going to be a blessing to everyone. Delmer Chilton tells a story of being stuck in the graduate library, UNC Chapel Hill, and the lights all go out. He's stuck in complete darkness. He thought it would be interesting for a few minutes. And then he heard bumps, crashes, muffled curses. Eventually he felt a little frightened. Until he says, I found a small beam of light. Stay still, I'll come to you. For I knew it was easier for me to go to the light than it was for the person with the light to search for me, especially when no one even knew I was there. I found my way to the library assistant by following the beams of his little keychain penlight. We made our way down the staircase and outwards. And afterwards, I kept thinking, it's amazing how little light we need sometimes. Like the Magi, who only needed the pinpoint of a new star to find their way to Jesus. Likewise, our star should light the way for everyone, not just our personal careers or ambitions. The star will be rooted in the past. It will be present tense. It will be for everyone. It will be bright and visible. Bright and visible. Whether you like it or not, you have to be impressed by the fact that between the streets of Western, Chestnut, Oregon, Nebraska, and Connecticut, 285 rainbow flags are currently flying. 285. Folks of that community have declared very loudly their values. The star is past tense, it is present tense. It's for everybody. It will be bright and it will lead us to Jesus, the bright and morning star. We get to follow his path to figure out how to live this life, how to follow God. That was what Jesus was up to. That was the project of Jesus of Nazareth. So if we follow Jesus, we will follow the light, the star that guides us. The star that is westward leaning and still proceeding. I end with this poem from Andrew King as I commission you on your starwood journey. Not every journey toward the Christ starts like the Magi's in darkness, but there might come a time when, in the empty hours of an otherwise unremarkable night, you've happened to look up at the usual sky and noticed, almost by accident, between passages of gray beasts of slow-moving cloud, the bright bloom of a strange star, flowering. And something begins to open a little somewhere beneath your skin as if that new wedge of light in the sky has inserted itself into your soul not enough to cause you any hurt but just enough that you feel a pang the twinge of something like longing as if your eyes in the silence have become ears in the darkness and you are hearing a holy summons distant but ringing like a silver trumpet in the chambers of your listening heart as you gaze at that star where it stands in the sky, dropping dust on the night horizon, and you think it might be signaling a holy presence in the world. 
and a road you can take to meet it. And that such a road, lit with promise, might lead to great adventure, where life becomes challenged and changed, as new as the sky above and a better world. And so you pack. You leave on this journey, this journey where Christ is not only waiting, but walking your road at your side. And you follow that light as it closes the distance, as it reaches deep within you, touching gifts that you carry in your hand. May you follow the star. <laughs>